You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Let me give you guys just a couple of updates. So next week is Mother's Day. We will be having worship service next Sunday night, but we will not have Equip next Sunday night, okay? I figure there's going to be a lot of people doing family stuff, so we will have worship service Next Sunday night, we will not have Equip. So Mother's Day and Father's Day, we won't have Equip. Uh, what we are going to be doing, um, so I, I mentioned this morning, we're going to start walking through family proverbs uh, during the preaching stuff and going through um, just womanhood, manhood, uh, marriage, parenting, singleness, you name it, just walking through some of the themes throughout the book of Proverbs. In the evening for the summer, what we're going to do is we're going to really talk and, and really focus in on uh, what is marriage in the Bible and what is it supposed to look like? And that's what we're going to really focus in on equip. So I think it's going to be a helpful thing. And I always say this about marriage. When you have to think about it, you go um, either. I'll, I'll oftentimes ask people say, raise your hand if you're married or know someone who is. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like there, there's always something that we can benefit from and share through. So we're going to start that uh, the week after Mother's Day and also some other great stuff going on as a church. Uh, tonight, as we talk about addressing anxiety, uh, doing this for three weeks, uh, I hope that if you weren't here last week for Jeremy's thing, it was incredible. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, listen to it online. It was so helpful. I know many of you guys had prayed for him as he was going through, and I think what was so helpful was that uh, Jeremy was very real and honest and say it was difficult. It came out of nowhere. Here are the things that didn't seem like it was working, but then God really just did deliver. And there were a lot of things that God used. You know, it just wasn't one thing. And I think that was so helpful. So I was so thankful uh, for him to do that. Um, tonight, what I want us to do is, is to talk, to kind of follow up with that thought about lies associated with anxiety. Because when, when we do get anxious, when we are overwhelmed, sometimes there are some things that I believe that uh, are lies associated with it that sort of convince us of certain things. And we're going to look at Elijah tonight, uh, and this is going to be kind of a spot about when he was seeing God move. Uh, he'd just seen him do this incredible thing on the mountaintop, but it was very short-lived because opposition came up, and he got very anxious very quick. And um, so we're going to look at this in a second. Uh, but really, let's start off with this, with dealing with emotions. Um, anyone can follow God during the revival, but only mature believers can follow him during the routine. So it's easy to follow God when we're feeling like revived. If we're like a back at God, revive us, uh, do some good things. Um, if, if you remember just those times in your life where you feel like God was doing a work of revival, I had a seminary professor that always said, you know, one of the most presumptuous things we do in church. And I said, what's that? He said, put revival on the calendar as if we can tell God when it's going to happen. You know, I, I understand what he meant, right? You can put the dates on a calendar of when you have services, but for revival to happen, that's something that God has to do. And, and so Elijah is going to be someone that sees God in this revival, and it's easy to do that, but only mature followers, uh, believers can follow him during the routine, when it gets difficult, when it gets challenging. And your emotions can be one of your greatest friends and yet one of your greatest enemies, right? Your emotions can be one of your greatest friends and yet one of your greatest enemies. So when you have emotions that are positive, like joy and peace, and calmness, and kindness, and energy, whatnot, they can be a great ally, can they not? When your emotions turn on you and they lead you, it is very challenging and difficult to discern, uh, am, am I leading my emotions or are my emotions leading me? And that's challenging to find out sometimes. Am I, am my emotions dictating how I need to respond or am I leading them? Because I think everybody here knows, I don't care how godly you are, how long you've been walking with the Lord, you can't always trust what you feel, okay? 
can't. Uh, there are a lot of things that uh, even in our culture today that people will say, well, I, I feel this way, so therefore I need to act that way. That's not true, because most of you have been arrested driving on 385 or Whitworth Road at some point in your life. If you did everything that came to your mind, how you felt, it's not a wise thing to do. So with Elijah, he had emotions. He had these extreme highs, these extreme lows we'll look at. Uh, but it is supremely important to learn how to grow from the spiritual highs without becoming dependent upon them. This is extremely important that we learn how when God gives us those spiritual highs, those mountaintop experiences, those wonderful moments in our lives, it's so important for us to learn how to grow from them and not become dependent upon them. So one of the things that I typically do every summer is I will, um, I, I, I will speak at about two youth camps with Fuge. Uh, Lifeway puts these on all over the country, and, and, I'll, and I tell them Tuesday only the limit that I can do during the summertime. And um, one of the things that I notice about um, youth camp culture, it's a lot like the revival culture or different things in our life. It's like this gets me really on this mountaintop experience and all. And, you know, the last day of camp, it's like there's just this sadness that happens. You know why? Because the first day of camp, it's like pulling teeth to get these teenagers to focus on the Lord. They're just all over the place. They're excited like, oh, she's cute. Oh, I like that person. They're you know, just like all over the place. They're excited. They're away from home. They're, you know, drinking. They're putting Dr. Pepper and their you know, cereal in the morning. I mean, they're just completely out of sorts. And then you know, like just worship this kind of stuff. Get them focused. Get them focused. And you, you literally, they can't focus. But by night five, it's like, we all love Jesus. It's like, who are these kids? Like what happened, right? Five days of intentional focusing on the Lord and in the Word and praying, it, it does something to you. And so what happens is at the end of camp, they go, I don't want to go home. I'm not ready to go home. Why not? Because I just feel so close to God at this camp. Well, guess what? He goes with you. <laughs> hey, the Bible that you learned from, you're taking it with you. The God that you prayed to, the God that you sang to, the God that spoke to you, he's, he's going with you. They're like, yeah, 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 but there's just something about these moments. And so what I've had to learn is, those catalysts in our moments, those mountaintop experiences, if you will, those spiritual highs, they're great. But they're not every day, are they? They're, they're few and far between. Most days feel like routine, and most days feel like more valleys than they do mountaintops. So we have to learn how to deal with that when it uh, happens. And so, so if you're in 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, uh, simple question, what is the chapter before 1 Kings chapter 19? It's 1 Kings what? You guys are so smart. Thank you. First Kings chapter 18. You know that story because this is when Elijah calls down fire from heaven, right? Prophets of Baal, uh, all, all this stuff happens, and he calls them out. King Ahab, his wife Jezebel, um, they are disturbing what's happening among God's people, and Elijah calls them out. There's hundreds of prophets of Baal. You remember that? I mean, in fact, look, look at 1 Kings chapter 18 just to make sure we have the context here. Um, it says, let's see here, let's go down to verse 17. I love this. Chapter 18, verse 17. When Ahab, who's the king, saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? <laughs> okay, isn't that great? You're prophet trying to point everybody back to the Lord. You're troubling what I'm trying to do here right now. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So 950 prophets come to decide to war against Elijah, and Elijah invites them to it. 
bring everybody you've got. You've got about 950. Why don't you bring them there? So here's what happens in verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah, mountaintop, right? Mountaintop. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. People did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Simple, right? You get a bull, I get a bull. You call on your God, I call on my God. And let's just see who wins. Huh, sounds like a good idea. And so they decide to go in verse uh, 26. They took the bull that uh, was given to them. They prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Maybe he is musing or he is relieving himself. If you want to know what Elijah is saying... He's saying what you think he's saying. Maybe your God's in the bathroom and you just need to yell a little bit louder. Maybe that, if he's not there, maybe just use the bathroom. Yell a little bit louder. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's asleep and must be awakened. Come on, guys, get louder. All right, well, they do. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances. And so they start cutting themselves. I mean, they're, they're bleeding all over the place. They're like, okay, God, hear us, God, you know. And, and Baal, just come and answer us. And it's getting out of control. They're losing blood. They're, obviously, you keep doing that, and it's overwhelming. Verse 29, I love this. As midday passed, they raved on until the time of offering of the oblation, and there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. All the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. That's just a beautiful symbol in itself, is it not? It's like someone has knocked over the church and someone says, I'm going to build this back up. He puts it back. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two sayas of seed. He put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. He said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And all the people saw it. They fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Now, when's the last time you saw that at youth camp, right? Okay. Last time you saw that at a revival meeting, tent meeting, whatever. Like, this is, I mean, top five probably events, at least top ten, maybe top five, of biblical events that go, whoa. This is just amazing unbelievable so how long do you think that that should serve elijah to be able to continue on the journey i'm thinking 
he's at least got to get six months to a year off of that. Like, he's going to have no time of struggling. When you see God moving that type of way, I'm thinking you're going to be invincible for the next few months of your life. And that's not what happened at all. It's A lot of people share about 1 Kings 18. They don't get into 1 Kings 19. Look, look at the, the going on from this. It says, verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the mount of, top of Mount Carmel. He bowed himself down to the earth, put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. He said, Go again seven times. And it goes on and whatnot, and, then, and basically the rain came. God is answering the prayer again. Look at chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab told his wife Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he killed all the prophets of the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. All right, stop. You just took out hundreds of prophets. You have literally seen fire fall from the heaven and burn up a completely soaked animal as a sacrifice. And one woman says, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. And we think Elijah's going to be like, and? Honey, do you know what I did yesterday? You think I'm worried about you right now? I've seen God move, and I'm not worried or concerned about you at all. Is that what Elijah says here? Verse 3. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die. Folks, that's what you call suicidal. He doesn't say that word there, but... You're asking God, I want to die. He's suicidal. After Mount Carmel, after this mountaintop experience, after this unbelievable thing of which probably, folks, I don't know if any of us can rival seeing something like that in our lives. And the next day, one woman who is in a position of power says, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. And he runs for his life and asks to die. Now, this is what is overwhelming. You know, he's, he's walking now. He's, he's been going, journey. He's trying to get away. It says, he asked that he might die. He says, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Kind of an interesting thing. I don't expect the angel to say. We'll get in that second. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he lay down again, just like a man. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you, boy. I added the boy part. You know what I'm saying? Get up. You need to eat a little bit more. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God which is another word for, does anybody know what mount that actually is? Sinai. Mount Sinai was not the mountaintop experience that Elijah had been on, but was there another mountaintop experience on Mount Sinai? Moses. Ten Commandments. Glory of the Lord. Filling the mountain. Don't miss this. Elijah had experienced God on one mountaintop. He was down. He goes, maybe I should go over there to that one. So he starts traveling. Now, 
Let me just stop here for a second because there's some incredible things to get into with, with this story. But one of the things that can happen is, is that we can allow things to separate us from what we know about God to be true. And we don't need to let uh, fatigue, fear, faithlessness, or frustration distract you from God. Because when we see Elijah, these are things that are distracting him from him. Um, there is a fatigue, right? There is a fatigue that's taking place. He's exhausted. He's been walking. And I think it is very, very um, telling because just like much of what Jeremy's testimony was, there were a lot of things that, that God was really showing him to do spiritually, mentally, physically. All these things play into it. And you would think that if you're suicidal and you're afraid that the angel is going to say, don't worry, Elijah, God's promises are true. No, he said, get up and eat. Because when you're hungry, sometimes you get crazy, right? You're exhausted. You haven't been, you're, you've been walking, you haven't drank, you haven't eaten, you're barely sleeping. And folks, you guys know this, but fatigue can start getting you a little bit out of sorts, can it not? Um, when you don't sleep well, and you don't eat well, and your body starts turning against you, it's hard to keep your mind and your spirit in check, is it not? Uh, Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And um, I believe that a lot of times that I, I think it's, there's, some, there's something like really refreshingly beautiful to me that God sends an angel to give Elijah a snack. <laughs> you know? I don't know why, that's just absolutely beautiful to me. That he's like, you're hungry, eat something, and take a nap. Because then he might start thinking clear, right? Now we can act all spiritual, but folks, sometimes we need a good snack and a good nap, right? Just to think a little bit clear. If you're not sleeping, you can't really trust what you're thinking. If you're not eating well, if you're not, your, fit, your body's off, if things, things are different. So fatigue can do this. Obviously, he's fearful. He's fearful of Jezebel. He's fearful of the, the forces that she could be sending after him. Um... She is a, a pretty scary woman, okay? Even though he's experienced a lot, he's, he's scared of her. There's no way around it. Uh, he's faithlessness. You think about it. He talks about how I'm no better than my father's. He's basically saying this. All of my father's generation, they walk for the Lord, and here I am. I can't even put it together. And frustration, just that, that I would imagine, God, I did your work. Now why am I having to deal with problems, Right? Any of you ever felt really mad or frustrated that you did the right thing and you had to reap the consequences that weren't positive from it? God, I did the right thing. And now I feel like I'm getting even more pushback. Like, shouldn't I get a free pass at least for a week? It's like, you did the right thing and bam, here it is. And so Elijah, he, he does the right thing. Takes a stab, I mean, goes for it, right? But he, he's coming along and he's suicidal and he's literally just completely off of this. And despair often leads to a self-centered perspective. This is what's happening to Elijah at this point. He's despairing. He's not thinking about God's glory. He's not thinking about other people. He is thinking, what does this mean for me? Natural tendency, easy way to get into it. But he, he starts turning this, and he's like, I just want to die. It's enough now. Take away my life. I'm done. I'm checked out. I am ready to, to move on from here. And despair, folks, how low you get, what you get anxious about. You know what happens when in anxiety and it can turn to depression or depression can sometimes turn to anxiety. We stop thinking about other people just on us, right? One of the, one of the uh, best signs of where we can be a little bit 
overwhelmed is if you've ever been in a conversation with someone and they say, well, how's your week going? And you say, well, it's kind of been rough because such and such is happening. And they interrupt you. You go, oh, yeah, that happened to me one time. You can finish. It's okay. Or, or they want to one-up you, right? Oh, you're having problems with your family? Let me tell you what my kids did one time. Oh, okay, you win, right? I'll, I'll stop talking. It, it's, it's not here about you. It's, it's let me tell you everything that's going on in my life. Uh, it's, let me just share all the stuff that's bad in my life, and it just won't stop. And so Elijah is getting this place where it's kind of a self-centered perspective. And look what's this is um, really interesting what happens next. Look at verse 9. It says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> I just, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And see if this sounds familiar. I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Have you heard that anywhere? Because if you go back, hold, hold your finger there. Look at chapter 18, again, verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only am left a prophet of the Lord. He said that just a couple days before this. Now, he's chapter 19 and verse number 10. I, even I, only am left. He's saying the same thing that he had said a couple days ago. And this is what's interesting. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, he wasn't saying it as a complaint, was he? He's kind of boasting in it. I'm the only one left. I'll take you boys on. I ain't scared of you. 1 Kings chapter 19, he's saying the same thing totally different perspective it's not a boast it's not a confidence it's not a submission to the lord it's now a complaint and so same phrase but totally different meaning when elijah says it the second time and my boast today can become my complaint tomorrow sometimes we get to this place where we can kind of like elijah go i'm the only one left and we kind of feel like that we're something special and then we get really low and you go i'm the only one left god why am i the only one left when are you going to help me, God? Saying the same thing. Same thing over this. And so he, he comes along, and, uh, and what's amazing about this, really, really, do, I think it's just amazing, is that what he was boasting about, or, or at least not afraid to submit to other people's thinking, right? Later on, he's going, I'm the only one left. And he's, he's not happy about it. He's overwhelmed by it. And so... Um, this is what he's, verse 11. He said, Go out, stand on the mountain for the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Let me just stop there for a second, because what is God about to do? He's about to speak to Elijah, right? And Elijah um, left Mount Carmel, went down into the valley. Now he's at Mount Sinai. And, and the scriptures don't teach this, but I have to think that in Elijah's mind is, if God showed up big on that mountain, maybe he'll do it again. Let me go to the place where it happened last. Let me go to a holy moment, special place. Maybe God's going to show up big. Why? Because I think he was addicted to that feeling. God, I, I need the emotions to be here. I need the high to be here. I need all the excitement to be here. And God goes, all right, so what are you saying to me? I need some excitement, Lord. I need something to push me over the edge again because this is, this is overwhelming. And he's anxious about it. Is he going to die? What's going to happen to him? 
uh, and, and God's going to speak to them. We need a revelation of God more than we need an answer from God. He is, um, Elijah wants an answer from God. Why is this happening? Why can't you do this? But what God is about to do is he's just about to show him himself. Here, Elijah, I know that you got all these questions. I know you got all this kind of stuff you want answered. But right now, I'm going to do something even more important. I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. Okay, well, how are you going to do that? And, and what God does here, and, and y'all know this passage. You probably know exactly where this thing's heading, but it, it's, it's surprising. If you've never read this passage, you don't expect it to end this way. Um, Go out, stand, mount before the Lord, verse 11. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Isn't that awesome? God says, I'm going to pass by. I'm going to do something. What happens? Here comes the wind. He's like, oh, there's been times in Scripture where a mighty wind does stuff. Here he comes. Nope. Earthquake, something big. Here comes God. Nope. Oh, fire. Oh, I saw fire last time. This is awesome. And No. Well, God, show me something big. I'm going to talk to you now so that you have to lean in. Come close, Elijah. It's not always in big moments. It's not always in the the big ordeals. It's not always on the mountaintop. It's not always in the youth camps. It's not always at the revival meetings. It's not always when your emotions are in it. Sometimes it's just close enough to you to hear my voice. Come close. It's it's not in the rocks. It's not in the wind. It's, It's not in the earthquakes. It's not in the fire. It's something more powerful. It's my voice, Elijah. Listen. Listen to it. And when we only anticipate the fire from God's hand, we often overlook the whisper from God's mouth. We're always waiting for God to do something big and huge and mighty and powerful. Sometimes we miss the whispers of what God is trying to say to us. And sometimes uh, I don't want to be quiet because I just don't want to hear what he has to say. (laughs) I just want a big moment, God. Show up. Do something big. Do something strong. Do something in some type of way to get our attention. And, and so he comes in and says this low whisper. Verse 13. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I'm glad you learned the lesson. Elijah saying the same thing. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and abel Mahoalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And you go, what type of bedside manner is God doing here? God, I'm about to die. What do you want me to do? Come off this mountain and get back to work. That's what I want you to do. Get off the mountain, go back to work. Sometimes the only way to combat discouragement is to continue faithfulness. Feel discouraged? Feel overwhelmed? What do you do? Well, you don't sit around twiddling your thumbs waiting for God to fix everything. You get back to work. 
And what God does in this moment with Elijah is so shocking because he just starts giving him some things to do. Now, on one end, it's shocking because you go, I'm needing a break. But what is he saying? Go down the mountain and go ahead and do it. He's saying this. Jezebel's not going to touch you, son. I've called you for a purpose. Now fulfill it. Finish the task. Keep going. Keep moving. Now, in these words that he says, it's very interesting because there are some things that I believe line up to some lies that are associated with anxiety that Elijah's going to have to rest through. God's response to Elijah uh, helps us understand what we should do when we're anxious. Um, when, when discouraged, here are the four things that I see God doing or encouraging Elijah to do. Listen to God, finish the task, invest in another, and surround with support. Those four things he tells Elijah to do. Listen to God. Come here, close, I'm going to whisper to you. Finish the task. Go down there and anoint those kings. Go over there and do that kind of situation. I told you to do that. you got to finish the job. Invest in another. Hey, Elijah, you're going to put your mantle on him, encourage, disciple, mentor him, and then send him out. And then also there's a unique thing that he says here at the end, but he, he says surround with support. I'll, I'll get to it in a second. The, these four action items help combat lies associated with anxiety because when anxiety hits, these are four things that honestly I see people wrestle with that God speaks straight to. The first one is this. God can't help you. When you feel anxious, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel like all the world's crashing in, you start believing this line that God can't help you. Where is he? Is he not doing anything anymore? Is he not doing anything about it? God continued to reach out to Elijah in his trials. He didn't give up on Elijah. He continued to reach out. If I was God and Elijah was throwing this little pity party and whining, you know, whatever, I'd be like, just go then, bro. Come on. You mean to tell me that whole fire on Mount Carmel thing lasted all of about 18 hours for you, and now you're going, oh, what am I going to do? Like, really? That, that's how weak you are? Just whatever you need to do, Elijah. No, God reaches out, sends an angel. You imagine? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm totally speculating here. But, you know, we, we kind of um, really sometimes take angels and kind of water them down a little bit, you know? Is it okay to say sissify them a little bit? Angels are always just sort of plucking harps and floating on clouds. When you read the Bible, angels are like, who you want me to get, God? I got my sword ready, right? You can imagine all these angels watching Elijah. Like, That's awesome. Look at the fire come down. Look at all this stuff. This is awesome. What's Elijah doing now? Oh, he's whining. Oh, he's scared of a woman. Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Hey, I need an angel to come do something to Elijah. And I see somebody going, I'm in. Let me go down there, God. I will take care of this whiner really quick for you, God. What do you want me to do to Elijah? I want you to feed him. With poison? <laughs> okay, like, with what? Now give, him, give him something good to eat. Give him something good to drink. And tell him that he needs to rest a little bit. Then I want you to sit there while he naps. And wake him up again and give him some more food him some more drink and tell him he's not going to make it his own strength if he tries to do this and he needs to rely on the Lord. And the angel goes, ah, I had something on the calendar. Does anybody else want to do this right? Folks, God is intentional to reach out to Elijah even when he should, let's be honest, he should be in a better place than where he is right now, but God reaches out to him, takes care of his needs. God is near and able to help you work through any level of anxiety. 
God is not frustrated when you struggle. God is not surprised when you struggle. And sometimes when it's those small things that feel like big things and you feel overwhelmed, God is not going, what is wrong with you? He's saying 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxiety because what? He cares for you. Um, there are sometimes I don't want to admit my anxiety to God because he's probably going to be like, what's wrong with you? Scripture tells me to cast all my anxiety. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Psalm 62, verse 8, pour out your heart before him. Pour it out. Just put it out there because you can trust in him. And so God is near. So there's not anything that you might be anxious about today that you say, I'm going to struggle with, and you go, what is wrong with you, right? Um, there's different things that affect every single person in, in different ways. Um, I heard a great example about marriage one time that said that one of the most discouraging things uh, is that uh, this man was saying that he wanted, um, he felt like when he got married, he was going to be the knight in shining armor. I was going to come in and just rescue the damsel in distress every day, you know, and there's going to be a fire-breathing dragon threatening her, and he was going to come in right in on his noble steed and be like, I'll rescue you, honey. And some days he would call home and feel like his wife was being attacked by a dragon and he needed to come in and save the day. And then he'd come home to find it wasn't a fire-breathing dragon. It looked like a tiny mouse. You're worried about that? What's wrong with you? That's not a dragon. That's nothing. To which the wife goes, oh, it's even worse now. Thank you very much, right? And, and sometimes we can almost, it's easy for us to go, since I don't struggle with that, I don't understand why you do. Right? Let's be, let's be honest in here, okay? We, we can do this. Have any of you rolled your eyes at the way somebody that you know has felt about COVID this last year? <laughs> Anybody? Every side of the camp, right? I can't believe they won't do that. I can't believe they are doing that. Oh, my goodness gracious. Hey, has anybody here been surprised how it's affected people you didn't expect it to affect that way? What? I didn't see this bothering this person. I mean, we, we laugh. Because he, he won't mind me saying this. Um, Marty, our student pastor, is the world's biggest germaphobe. I thought when COVID was happening, he was going to be shut down. He was like, hey, we got to live our lives. It's not that big of a deal. I'm like, what? Like, it just was completely shocking to me. I thought I'm about to be, he was like, that's not a big deal. And then some people in our church is like, nothing ever bothers them. This bothered them. Why? I have no idea. I got no clue. Why does it affect the people differently? No clue. Um, and, and so this is what I know. It's easy for me to say, just get over it. That's not what God does. Just cast all your cares to me. You got anxieties? Bring them to me. It's all good. Why? Because I care for you. So one of the lies associated with it is anxiety that God can't help you, and yet here's the story of Elijah. God keeps reaching out, keeps ministering, keeps taking care of needs. Uh, second lie associated with anxiety, you're not who you used to be. Before this anxiety hit, you, know, you used to be this. You used to could do that, but now you're just kind of a, a shell of who you used to be. That's why I think Elijah said it's just best for me to die. I'm not in use. No better than my dad. No better than his, his generation, that generation before him. And, and he's starting to believe the lie that he's done for. He's got no service anymore. Anxiety seeks to rob us of the notion that we can still be of service. Anxiety robs that from us, that we, we can't be of service. There's nothing left for us to do. So Elijah said, let's just finish this. Um, there are so many times when I've talked with anyone who has made major mistakes in their life, and they are so low. I will ask them a simple question. I said, 
How low are you? And what are you considering right now? I'm not thinking about taking my life, but I tell you what, it'd be a lot easier if I just did. I'm not going to do it. I mean, I think about it. I said, all right, why? I've just done so much hurt and pain to my family, I just don't even know. And I said, you want to add more pain to that pain? You do this. If you think you've hurt them now, this pain is a total different level of pain. What are they telling? The lie they're believing is, I'm of no use. They'd be better off without me. That's a lie. It's a complete lie. There's so much pain there that goes along with that. And so anxiety is seeking to rob us. We have no use. We have no value. It'd be better off if we're not here. We're just a burden on everybody. That's a lie that anxiety kind of fills our head. God still calls us to finish our God-given task. He looks at Elijah and says, I want you to go down, get off this mountain, you've met with me, and get back to work, son. Um, folks, I, all right, practical side, right? Uh, have you noticed how many now hiring signs are in bigger and bolder signs around here right now? Um, there are people that are, aren't working as much, and is it doing good to the fabric of our American society? Work is a good, valuable, life-giving thing. And the less people do and accomplish, the more anxious we feel and the less of value that we feel. And it starts working with us going, well, I just sort of stay in my house and not bother anybody, right? And, and what takes place is that we start believing this and that God has called every single one of us. And, and I, I think one of the greatest things, a lot of times people say, oh, I've messed up so much, I'm struggling so much, I'll be of no use to anybody. And I go, oh, this is actually the best time you can be used. Jeremy would have never asked to go through what he went through uh, the last few months. But can I just tell you that now it's at a totally different level when someone says, I'm struggling with anxiety, I don't know if you ever know what this is like. He goes, oh boy, can I tell you. So, so what, what has helped him? One of the first things when we sat down and talked, I said, you're going to come out of this. I believe it. You're, gonna, you're not only going to survive, you're going to be better because of it. I believe this with everything within me. But I want you to archive what you're doing. I want you to write down steps along the way that what God's teaching you. He said, why? I said, because you're going to need to share this with somebody one day. It's going to be somebody else. You're going to learn. God's not through with you yet. God's calling you to accomplish God-given tasks. Third lie. You can't help anyone. Kind of a connect with that one, right? You can't help anyone. There's nothing you can do. Uh, what use are you to it? Once again, you messed up so much, you struggle so much, what can you do? Don't neglect to share all the lessons you are learning with one another. Write it down. Share it with somebody else. Because something happens with any anxiety that you're struggling with, if you come up out of it, and I believe you can come up out of it, you're going to come across somebody who says, I've been there. Um, I'll never forget sitting in a um, small group one day where somebody walked in uh, and one of my friends who had lost his father years before and still struggled with it, somebody walked in and just said, I just found out that my granddad died. And this guy just all of a sudden turned this light switch on. He says, let me tell you how I got through. Well, he's never talked about it in a positive way. It's always been a negative thing. But in that moment, it's like, I can take what I'm learning and pass it on to somebody else, right? It's a beautiful thing that can happen. And our greatest contributions might actually come from our deepest struggles, folks. I know that's not the way you'd want it, but I think every single person here knows that some of the best gifts you've given other people is saying that you have walked down the path that they are walking and you made it. Um, I can help people if they're going through certain situations, but if I've gone through that situation and made it out, I'm a lot better apt to, to serve them. What does he say here at the end? Um, after he's told him, right, go and, 
If, if the lie number two is you're not who you used to be, you can't do it, God says, Elijah, go anoint these kings. I've still called you to do that. But then if you say you can't help anyone, this is what he says in verse 16. Uh, I want you to go, uh, and you are going to uh, anoint Elijah, the son of Shaphat. You're going to anoint to be a prophet in your place. What he's saying, I want you to take this young man, you're going to disciple him and get him ready for service. And you got to imagine the angel sitting over there with this, the, the Lunchables for Elijah going, really? <laughs> you want him to teach him something? You're going to mess him up? No, no, no. I want you to teach someone. You can help this person out. And I think that in those last days of Elijah's life as he's preparing Elisha for service, that he used them in an incredible way. The fourth lie associated with anxiety is that you are all alone. Um, once again, here is Elijah in chapter 18 saying, I'm the only one left. And in chapter 19, he's, I'm the only one left. I don't want to die. One of Satan's, if you really get down to it, one of Satan's greatest lies is to tell you that you are all alone. You're the only person struggling with this. Nobody cares for you. Nobody's watching out for you. Nobody knows if you're here. Nobody cares if you're gone. You're the only person in the world that struggles like this. What's wrong with you? And you start telling yourself that he's right. And it's one of the best lies that he tells us that he's all alone. And this is why I love verse 18. He says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that I have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Now, time out. Elijah said in chapter 18, I'm the only one left. Chapter 19, he said twice, I'm the only one left. And God says right here, No, you are not. You're not the only one left. Stop whining as if you're not. How many people did he say are still following the Lord? There's 7,000 men down in the valley who have not done what you think they've done. You're not the only one left. So get down and get around those people. Don't miss the practicality. This is just, I love that God says this. Stop whining and acting like you're alone when you're not. There's 7,000 men just like you, and I could have used them on the mountain if I wanted to. They haven't bowed to Baal. They're down there. They're together. And if you're struggling, guess what? Get around them. 7,000 men, you think you can find a few to get around? Make sure, if you're struggling with anxiety, that you are surrounding yourself with godly support. I love that God says this in this kind of underhand kind of way towards the end to say, you're not the only one left. There's 7,000 men still following me. Go down and get around them. Folks, if you are struggling with anxiety, if you stay in your house, listening to your feelings, never coming up out of it, guess what? You're going to feel worse. And it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse, it's going to get worse. I was even talking with um, uh, family, a family member who lived out just on this country dirt road all by herself, and the doctor one day said, how many people do you see during a week? What do you mean? How many people do you see during the week? Well, she said, I don't know, last week, maybe one. And this doctor, who may or may not be a Christian or not said that's not healthy you need to be around people that's what's been so endangering for so many of us right I, I really think it's so interesting that our culture has said the safest place to be is six feet apart from everybody and I've always thought when I'm six feet away from everybody that's not going to be a good day right because six feet under means I'm done okay so I never thought that was a good distance that I ever want to epitomize right 
But we have told ourselves, stay distant, stay in your home. And folks, we're starting to reap the consequences for that. Just, it's just not right. Um, a doctor in this church, when all this happened, told me, Travis, I know you got to make some calls. And I know, and he goes, I'll be honest. He said, I'm, I'm treating this, this sickness in the hospital. It's serious. But the thing I'm more concerned about is what's fear going to do to the human heart if we stop everything. He said, Travis, as a doctor, I'm not telling you what to do, but if you shut down the church for a long period of time, he goes, I'm scared of what it's going to do. And so that was the place where he said, okay, we're going to be around some folks. We're going to open up our doors, and who can come can come. And, Lord, I'm not going to – this was my personal call. Um, I wasn't going to wear a mask in the middle of the church because I wanted our church family to see me and to see I'm not fearful. And I'm going to be close, and I'm going to be approachable. And I kept reading over and over and over where Jesus would touch the man with leprosy before he healed him. And I said, okay, Lord, protect me, but I'm going to be present. If somebody needs a hug, I'm going to give them a hug. If somebody needs a handshake, I'm going to give a handshake. Now, I might Germex later, okay? And I might be praying in the middle of it, but we need each other. And if you are at a place right now where anybody that you know is struggling with anxiety, I cannot overstate how beautiful what God says to Elijah is. You're not alone. Stop acting like it. Get around some people. Get around some godly people. Because it changes all in the world. So, for you tonight, this is something that you're struggling with or you know someone is. I pray that Elijah's story will give us courage and also know how to give it to someone else. So, Father, tonight, as we think about this example, it is such a stark reminder for us to realize that even after some of the greatest highs of our lives, spiritually speaking, that we can have such a shocking low, shocking fall so quickly. That if it could happen to Elijah, it can happen to us as well. And um, none of us are immune from it. Uh, But we know that we need you. And so in the midst of hardships, when depression hits or anxiety hits, we feel overwhelmed. There are going to be lies that associate with us that you have left us, that we're of no service. We can't help anybody. We're the only one out here. And God, you have not left us alone. You are here. You are still speaking to us. You are still reaching out. You still have things for us to do. You still have people for us to pour our lives into. You still have people around us to help encourage us. We are not alone. You've not left us this way. So God, help us be the church in the midst of these crazy, trying times. And to know, to help people know that God hasn't left them and neither have we. God, bless us this very day. Help us be reminded of the presence of your people and your uh, own presence in our lives as well. It gives us such great hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.